Welcome, one and all, to your Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to bring you our impressions of the entire season, series, of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, and as well the Marvel Assembled documentary that was made available on Friday, April 30th. But Matt, beginning a little bit of pre-roll here, uh, we want to get on the Release the Bucky Saracut bandwagon. Pete, if they have more footage of those two, bring it on. Particularly, They do. Since... They've acknowledged there is more footage. We made the Zemo cut happen. Okay, we willed it into existence in a uh, 48-hour window, (laughs) it seemed. Okay, Uh, and now we need to see more of Bucky and Sarah. Yeah, I I think that this season had so many strengths, and if there's more footage out there, you know, let's not be precious about it. If you didn't want it to be part of the body of what you were trying to say in six episodes and 291 minutes, uh, that's okay. Uh, whether you want to call it deleted scenes, whether you want to call it a Marvel one-shot, whether you want to call it whatever, however you'd like to brand it, however you want to make it feel like a DVD extra of old or a brand new you know, Star Trek short Trek, you know, do we do mini Marvels or something like that? Uh, If there's more out there, these are characters that we really enjoy. And uh, certainly Bucky and Sarah had a chemistry that Pete has us hoping for all sorts of things in the future. Uh, So if there's, if there's more out there, let it be done. On the heels of uh, Nomadland director, Chloe Zhao, who is, of course, at the helm of the forthcoming uh, Eternals film scheduled for November that we've seen nothing from at this point. Matt, comes discussion this week, courtesy Kevin Feige, that uh, she, uh, Chloe Zhao, in her super ambitious pitch, convinced him to use actual... Uh, footage of a sunset he showed it off to uh, investors and had to say no 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 this is in the camera this is not special effects I think the number one strength of Kevin Feige um, since Iron Man has been really having a sense of when to empower other people and also when to share the spotlight or when to direct the spotlight to other people that's not to suggest that Kevin Feige is anything less than 100% the first and last word when it comes to these Marvel Studios properties. Um, he made reference, uh, I believe it was in the lead up to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but he made reference to his most favorite times in the life of a project is at the very, very beginning when ideas are, are coming together, even before there's a script, and then at the very, very end when the editing is happening. Uh, And let's not forget that for at least some of the movies, I know this was true for Captain Marvel, um, the directors deliver their cut, and then they are told, thank you very much, and work then continues in the edit without the directors. Um, So, 
again, the point being, Pete, I'm not trying to paint Kevin Feige as a bad guy in any way. Uh, it takes a village to make a movie. It takes a village to make a TV show. Chloe Zhao was well-regarded before her Nomad Land wins, uh, before being an Oscar winner. It only makes sense that, of course, around the time she wins an Oscar is when Kevin Feige says, you know me, I'm the man with the hat, but how about Chloe Zhao over there who, who brought to us wisdom that we did not have? I'm sure, Pete, that that is both true, and it is, it is also a good story for Kevin Feige to say, I hereby pass the baton to Chloe Zhao while we talk about Eternals. I'll be back to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, Mike Vendor, and so forth. Uh, when, perhaps at that point, Chloe Zhao will have moved on to other things. Who knows what her MCU future is and so forth. Well, super excited that she is the first uh, MCU director with an, a uh, Best Director Oscar before she's even debuted her Marvel film here. So, uh, brava on that. And speaking of brava, Matt, having leaked here in this last 36 hours, the Ms. Marvel suit resplendent on Iman Vellani. Yeah, Pete, you know me. Listeners know me. I love to run spoiler-free, but there's some things you got to take a little nibble of, and still no date for Ms. Marvel. Um, we are projecting somewhere in the August to September range, um, but... To take a look at the suit and to say, wow, that suit looks awesome. It looks like the comics design looks like they've added a little bit more shine and shimmer. Um, as you had said off mic, Pete, there's no guarantee that what we are seeing is the final version of the suit. This might be the Spider-Man makes a thing to fight in the uh, in the, the wrestling match in uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 1 version. I kind of doubt that. It also could be, oh man, they're holding off for the cool leather space battle armor or whatever that might only make its debut at the very end of Ms. Marvel 106 or, you know, or, or something like that. Um, but it just looks, it looks comics accurate. It just looks great. I think that is the show that's really running under the radar right now. That's going to explode this in the same way. People are like, Oh, what's this? What's this WandaVision people are talking about? And now, you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier being the most watched thing in the world, you know, uh, June 11th, Matt will be there with Loki and doing everything there. In fact, any news for us on Loki? Yes, Pete, after some uh, some behind the scenes issues with the new Apple podcast program and this and that the other, which is a bunch of boring technical stuff. But after we were able to overcome some of those things, in part, Pete. Uh, with uh, by using some of the support that we get from patreon.com slash fantastic geek i'm talking about cabbage there pete um we can not say the, that not the app cabbage by the way <laughs> not the app cabbage talking about some of the some of those bucks helped us upgrade our situation in the apple podcaster program which i'm still figuring out the particulars of but the low-key podcast feed is up on uh on apple podcasts uh there may be a couple of bugs still getting worked out but um if you search for fantastic geek and loki you should see the podcast there we're going to be uh adding to that in the near future if only just a little quick preview ahead of a more proper preview uh at some point uh end of may early june you know right before the show does kick off there on june 11th but 
hit those subscribe buttons now to get on board. Uh, and of course, everything that we do for Loki uh, is going to be on the Pop Culture Podcast feed as well. And of course, FantasticGeek.com. So you can get it any which way you want. Did have one uh, listener super excited to be able to uh, find that and, uh, you know, subscribe to it. Didn't want to miss a thing. So the hunger is definitely there. But Matt... Let's talk some Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because I'm told by Nate Moore, executive producer, that uh, that's never been done before. For the first time ever, it's truly connected. Right, Agent Coulson? Pete, I watched the Assembled uh, special before you did, and I texted you, have you seen it yet? And you said, no, you know, so on and so forth. Um, And Pete, in the first 90 seconds... For a high-level MCU producer in a high-level MCU product, which is assembled. Granted, it's not you know the release of uh, of Endgame or something, but for him to be making that statement that they, this had never been done before, I mean, a that's not true. Period. Full stop. Well, what are you trying to say, Director Fury? It, it was. It it it, it was. Pete, this is the one blemish in what we, as far as I'm concerned, in what we've seen from, you know, Marvel Studios TV. And granted, this was not an episode. This was a behind the scenes and so forth. But to cl- here's what they did, Pete. They said, if you have enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if you have enjoyed Agent Carter, if you have enjoyed... Did we, the Agent Carter that put a Jarvis in Endgame, are we talking about that one? You know, the actor who was on Agent Carter who went to Avengers Endgame, but Matt, for the first time ever, never been done before. Now yeah. it's, it's truly connected. Look, I understand, and we've talked about this on our various Marvel podcasts before, I understand how there was a corporate split. I understand how Kevin Feige was the annoying little brother who had had, I guess, some success with washed-up Robert Downey Jr., and then, you know, Ed Norton's a real pain in the butt. Maybe we won't bring him back. Uh, I guess we'll do another Iron Man, because that did really well. You know, I understand that that's how kind of Marvel corporate viewed him, and that Marvel TV was... You know, and Marvel and Marvel TV's Jeff Loeb was one of the cool New York comic guys. I know Jeff Loeb is more uh, Hollywood based, but he's part of that. You know, the the Joe Casada, the corporate end of things, and they were kind of feasting off of the the success of these movies. And I think that Kevin Feige was just biding his time and biding his time as he built all this up. And now Kevin Feige is everyone's boss at Marvel. Period. Everyone in Marvel creative comics. Music, uh, films, TV, he is boss to all of them. Um, you know, they now have to eat crow, and, and some of them I think have been... I think it's very clear that Jeff Loeb was shown the door because Jeff Loeb was considered himself uh, the equal of Kevin Feige when, uh, spoiler alert, Marvel twist, he was not. But to claim that those shows didn't exist, Pete, it hurts. I'm not going to sit here and say Inhumans was the best thing ever. I'm not going to say that the ending of Punisher Season 2 did not have tonal deafness that is staggering. I'm not going to say that even, even you know, my beloved Jessica Jones series, which was my favorite from Marvel Netflix, I'm not going to say that there weren't moments where it was too slow and too monotone, but to claim it had never been done before is just unfair. Listen, Lady Sif, 
It's not like you could sit there <laughs> and watch, uh, what is it, episode 14 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then watch Captain America Winter Soldier, and then watch the next episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that aired the very next week, and go bing, bang, boom, and then you're going to retroactively tell me uh, seven years later, it's never been done before. With that prelude out of the way, Pete, I think that we can talk about the many highs, maybe some lows for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, I mean, I think a natural starting point would be Marvel tends to... Marvel and Disney have been such a great fit since the purchase. I think it was around 2010. They've been such a great fit because they want to be available to... They want to be open to everybody. They want to kind of be provocative while you're watching, but they're not necessarily... I think as a brand, they're not necessarily there to shake up your world or change your worldview or have you have that Star Trek moment of, wait, these two people with funny makeup on oh my goodness, it's a metaphor for the civil rights movement. I Maybe I need to change my perspective. Uh, that was clearly not the case for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where at its core is the notion of a black man's place in society and how race is perceived, how people of color uh, perceive themselves, how they perceive the perceptions around them and all that. And I mean, whatever the critical success of this show has been and will be in terms of Emmys and Emmy nominations and all that, which is a, a bit of ways away, but the foundation of that is because this show, um, you know, with head writer Malcolm Spellman dared to be serious about these things and not yeah. sit and say, there's no racism in the MCU. So he's the Captain America now and everybody likes him. I was surprised to the level that they spoke about this in the documentary. I mean, it's, it's part and parcel of the show, uh, but to do it in the documentary and, and to do it as eloquently as they did. And let's reflect too, Matt, this show was initially supposed to be the, uh, the first show on Disney plus from Marvel COVID hits. You don't have, this discussion invoking Breonna Taylor and George Floyd uh, in this, if COVID hadn't delayed them. Um, so if you believe things happen for a reason, and here we are talking about it, that WandaVision would leapfrog them be the first one uh, earlier this year and really kind of makes sense both thematically uh, and in terms of, you know, what it was presenting. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier and here to have this really, really important discussion on race, on law enforcement. Um, just total kudos. I mean, for me, the moment of this assembled documentary was Malcolm Spellman talking about the, the speech that Sam Wilson gives with the GRC council members and, you know, having uh, Anthony Mackie on the phone and talking about the authentic nature in which it would unfold. You know, first it was apparently a conversation and, and then what it evolved into. But super important. I think it was the thing they nailed the most in the finale. And, uh, yeah, just mad props for the way that 
they did not shy away from it. And I think clearly it builds on the experience that not just, you know, Kevin Feige, but also producers like Nate Moore, uh, who granted we took the task for wiping away Marvel TV, but perhaps of a bit more importance is the fact that Nate Moore as a producer has, frankly, as uh, to the best of my knowledge, the only black producer that's part of the, the Marvel uh, executive core, um, somebody who has seen that you can do a story like Black Panther and not just say, hey, look, we we did the representation. That's the points. We get points because Black Panther is uh, an African-American or played by an African-American actor. Uh, he's an African character. We did it. We won. You know, to dig a little bit deeper there, still with that Marvel aesthetic, still with that Disney kind of family-friendly um, reach, but to take it to its next logical level here with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and to have that discussion, to make it authentic, to make it authentic because of Isaiah Bradley's character, um, it just, you know, the, the the rewards that this show has gotten in terms of the alleged viewership numbers, which I have no doubt are, are, are through the roof, um, and and again the fourth the, the current and forthcoming kind of critical praise, it's because they went there, and it's because in my mind this is an iteration beyond the generation, uh, or in terms of complexity, beyond where Black Panther kind of dared tread, if you will, um, and, and uh, maybe I shouldn't even say if you will. Let's not forget. Let's rewind to a time where Kevin Feige was not the boss, you know, was not his own boss. Um, earlier in the uh, 2010s, he was told by the Marvel uh, leadership, nobody wants to see a movie led by a black man or by a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, t- times change. Kevin Feige becomes his own boss. You have uh, Black Panther, you have Captain Marvel, and so forth. But again, don't stay in one place. That's part been part of the Marvel magic as well. Great, you had success with Black Panther imagining uh, a certain portrayal of blackness and a certain portrayal that was, by the nature of Wakanda, separated from the rest of the world. So you can kind of have your cake and eat it too in a certain sense. Here, no, let's bring it back home to an American experience. And that they're linked too. That Sam's suit is manufactured by Wakandans and now he is Captain America. I think that's a an oft-overlooked idea you know and julie louise dreyfus uh you know uh val pointing this out and you know the the bit in the documentary you know that they had about her but the whole thing about the shield you know that well this is a legal gray area and it doesn't really belong to america and that was the the domino to put it over the top for sam now the shield the suit the mantle of captain america and you know obviously the takeaway that the show changes with the title card at the end and remains to be seen whether there will be a second season whether it will go straight to the movies i really think it's inside baseball in terms of well wandavision is a one-off and that is the limited series um emmy uh you know category and well you know Captain America, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, that's going to be in the recurring because that can recur, right? And we can put it in two categories. Um, we'll have to see. Well, obviously, Loki falls into the new calendar year. So there you go. I, uh, 
I think if you are just a cold executive looking at, let me this way, if you're the marketing department, all due respect to, you know, Disney marketing that clearly is the best of the best with all this stuff. Um, if you're looking at marketing and awards, you know WandaVision is limited. Um, you don't need to say Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, although I think there's every edu- uh, every indication that it will be. And and then Loki, I think you go, uh, Loki is not out to win Best Actor. Okay, Anthony Mackie is gonna they're gonna put Anthony Mackie fourth to be a Best Actor uh, in a drama series. Uh, they're gonna put him out there. You know, Sebastian Stan, supporting actor, and so forth. Hey, Tom Hiddleston. There's a reason, maybe. There's a reason we overpaid, and I'm imagining this. There's a reason we overpaid you for the Loki series. Uh, don't expect to be going to the Emmys for your Emmy nomination here. You know, although Pete, hold on, let me hit pause one second here. WandaVision limited series, Falcon the Winter Soldier drama series. Maybe Loki is put forth as the comedy series. It's it's possible. It's entirely possible. And then you know they'll just go through the batting order again next year with. Uh, Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye and Moon Knight is filming now and She-Hulk's just about there. So, yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches. And I I think this documentary really underscores that as well, that, you know, the amount of resources. I mean, Matt, Marvel does its own research into earthquakes. Um. Yeah, Marvel does its own research in earthquakes. Marvel does its own research into a lot of things. One of the things that the Assembled documentary talked about in terms of prep, which had me kind of sort of scratching my head. Then you realize, wait, a bunch of the shows that we are watching, that we are podcasting, were made around the same time. They're just being released at different times. Things like, so they do the big truck fight. I think that's in episode two. Um, they, They do the big truck fight and... Um, some of it is done on a truck four feet, a, a, a truck model or a truck um, set, if you will, four feet off the ground with green screen. Some of it is done with stunt people on a road in Atlanta. Some of it is done on another road in Prague. All of it needed background replacement because none of it looked like Germany. So it becomes this Frankenstein stitched together. And I'm watching this going, oh my goodness, this is... When they made this, this was modern filmmaking. This is antiquated by the time we're seeing it. They're, the, for Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 2, or whatever, you know, insert whatever you want to, they're going to design the German road ahead of time. They're going to put people in a Mandalorian-style LED background. They're going to have the same little set for truck stuff that rocks. Maybe they'll put LEDs on the floor so that you can maybe have shots that look down a little bit i'm not quite sure what what that technology would look like but you're still going to have the 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 location scout go out and look at roads you're still going to have the location scout go out and take pictures you know still pictures and video you're just going to have somebody stitch it all together so you have the background ready to go the notion that wyatt russell or pardon me the notion that anthony mackie um stood on stood on a truck-shaped box in atlanta and Anthony Mackie's stunt double stood on a truck outside Atlanta, and Wyatt Russell did a tumble on a road in Prague. Uh, that's all gone now. It's yeah. all going to be Magic shot. Needing yeah. to find a neighborhood north of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. That that had the the right industrial aesthetic 
that they could shut down and and make their own and you know oh open air bar and everything like that it, yeah it's shocking to think that this is now antiquated and that under the disney umbrella and lucasfilm as a partner and hey now you know you can buy your own volume kit uh studio x and uh it comes with all sorts of things here that that they're able to do that yeah it's just it's, shocking it's the ultimate hollywood accounting thing too and i'm not even necessarily suggesting anything untoward hey marvel you have a budget you have a development a technology development budget of 50 million dollars says disney and marvel goes what 50 million dollars let me call up the completely different company called Lucasfilm Limited to order one of those LED kits, which costs $40 million, or you can get the $10 million add-on to have a staff member come set it up for six months or come be an advisor. Da, 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 da. And this, this is how Hollywood works. They're all, they're all independent, interconnected companies. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, and don't get me wrong, the Prague stuff the Prague scenes whether Prague was you know whatever country Prague might have been playing at a particular moment um there was an authenticity there that I I, look it's okay when you're in a galaxy you know uh, a galaxy far far away and you sit and said hey the model maker made beat up uh you know tie fighters and we're gonna put that in the background and we're gonna have a robot this and that the Prague stuff was gorgeous on screen. You know, I think of some of the uh, the GRC school stuff where I don't know what building they found, but it looked old and slightly dilapidated, yeah. but also like it was once grand and all. I don't know that you get that when you sit and say, hey, Susie Smith in California, make a old-timey room school thing. Like they're just not going to make a building that looked like it was in Prague like that, but things like this are coming to an end fast. Pete, can you imagine if Falcon and Winter Soldier didn't need to stop filming. And don't get me wrong, I know for COVID, everybody stopped for a certain period of time. But could you imagine if the same as Masked Singer started up again in uh, August or September, if it was like Falcon the Winter Soldier is just restarting because we had some people in Prague take video and they emailed it to people in LA who made a digital thing. All right, Sebastian, stand there and go, no, stop, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. Scene, that's it. We're, you know, they, This show could have been out much, much earlier if not for the fact that they needed to film in the real world. And I think there again, you, you lose the timeliness had that happened. And they pointed out in this documentary here the, the things that had happened, that COVID, that lockdowns, that um, the, the unrest uh, socially had highlighted that again if you believe things happen for a reason here we are um but yeah that insight into production is invaluable and you know i my head was swimming with the idea i mean we knew about prague we knew about the shutdowns knew nothing about puerto rico that that had been the initial target and that they were so close to going and then they had to pivot and the flexibility and and only makes sense with your your writing and your your producing team but uh that was something i had not seen to this point it it sounded vaguely familiar to me but honestly it could be i mean first of all sense of time since covid started is is crazy um but i think that it was so 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 prior to covid um, I have to go back and look. I, I, and apologies, I don't have the the earthquake dates in front of me because I know that that was a big 
that was a big blow to the island of Puerto Rico. But um, I will just say this, Pete, just to circle back to Prague one more time. Uh, I get it. We are all the heroes of our own story. To hear and assembled this this brave little toaster journey that they had to try and figure out where could they go in Europe? What could they do? Pete, I can tell you, as somebody who checks Deadline, checks The Hollywood Reporter every day, guess what the first country in Europe was to reopen to film and TV production? Czechoslovakia? There you go, the Czech Republic. Guess what the first one was to open up to American um, productions as long as you followed the Czech rule. Oh, well, I just gave it away. It was the Czech Republic, <laughs> like, right? Like, like, don't get me wrong. The fact that they were able to get back there and do what they had to do, and they really, really were one of the first productions back in the entire world, that is impressive, and I'm probably ignorant and downplaying the logistics of it. That said, they were only ever going to go back to the Czech Republic, not because they had done some location scouting, not because they had started to film there, not because they needed to decide overnight, one night, we are getting people out on planes today, start calling hotel rooms, get them out. That is all monumental and amazing but they were only if they were going to go back to europe they were only ever going back to the czech republic that like in some insanely early date like i want to say maybe maybe in june 2019 set forth guidelines effective july 1st 2019 provided that you were following these very strict deadlines like lots and lots of testing and quarantine when you came to the country and uh you know everybody had to stay all in one hotel and you know things like that but little bit of a victory lap when Czech Republic was like, please land here. We are ready for you. Yeah, I think they really admirably showcase the ability to adapt there and the level to which they were going to protect their crew, their creatives, uh, their cast. Pete, with that, let's take a look at some of the feedback towards the series, towards the assembled episode of the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's what three, three thes in the subtitle there. That's that's got to be some kind of record. Uh, Pete, fitting that we hear first from our Captain Noel Gardner. The one thing I think uh, I needed was instead of the generic GRC commercial, a mini documentary about five minutes explaining what was happening during the snap and the return of 3 billion people at one time. Hearing slash seeing more about displacement would help Carly's story. Uh, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 replied, Yeah, I hope the GRC is given more depth going forward. I would like a better explanation of who they are and what they do. Pete, let me frame their words to you by saying, I think that, I think that Noel is zeroing in on something, which is that the assembled documentary was good and very, very polished, but it wasn't necessarily a place where they wanted to be giving up any secrets. It wasn't where they wanted to be. Right. Like, for example, maybe somebody said, we could do this generic, uh, or pardon me, we could do this mini documentary about the snap, but uh, we're not totally sure how we're using the snap in Ms. Marvel episode six, which starts shooting, shooting in two weeks. All right, let, again, let's hold our secrets here because we might want to have a card that we use later. So I think there was a little bit of that in the assembled documentary. Yeah, I, you took the words out of my mouth. I think... Miss Marvel with its cast, with its content, is going to be a real easy choice to explore some more of that idea of resettlement, of the adjustment that happened with the snap, the blip. Um, and then, you know, 
so what do they do with this documentary? They let uh, Daniel Bruhl film a 30-second Sutkovia ad. Which was fantastic. Why it is that not fantastic. on YouTube? It was. Not not denying it. Uh, In fact, uh, Pete, that was a reminder that Daniel Bruhl um, needs to be in more stuff. I know that he, he is in, um, I know we talked about it at the beginning of the season. Is it The Mental, not The Mentalist, The Something? Like, Daniel Bruhl is working in English language TV and film. D- you know, Daniel Bruhl, who I'm sure a lot of us saw for the first time in Inglorious Bastards, he is so good, so charismatic, so yeah. everything. Why is this guy on a show on the USA Network? Why is he not, you know, do why, why is he not at the tippity top of stuff? Maybe it's just a just a matter of, um, a l- you know, a little bit of time. Maybe he's going to be, the, the, you know, the next Brian Cranston in the next 10 years, something like that. But in that 30 second commercial yes i'm ready to buy suit covia tell me where that is i will go there to sukovia for suit covia pete we also heard from james the sagacious as at uh big killing on twitter i loved some of the subtlety of the season one walker is married to a woman of color and his bestie is black but he's clueless on race relations Two, Battlestar's sister clearly doesn't trust Walker, but we don't know why. The writers don't over-explain everything. Pete, I think that's a good way, too, uh, to talk about there was so much that was positive about this season, and there was so much that was timely about this season. Uh, I know in the last week um, that Malcolm Spellman, I think it was Malcolm Spellman, um, was saying in in Hollywood Reporter, perhaps, uh, how part of the reason why sometimes you like John Walker and sometimes you don't is Wyatt Russell would give these different performances and not in a bad way, but he would give charismatic, he would give evil and so forth. And kind of was all in the mishmash. If, if the Falcon and the winter soldier rose to its highest heights because of recent events, did John Walker come up? Did John Walker's presentation come up a little short? Cause isn't like either he's the bad cop who needs to be punished or he's the battle-wearied PTSD soldier for whom we should have sympathy. But we got both and neither at the same time. And I don't know whether I should feel good that U.S. agent will return to do dirty things and he's on a redemptive arc because there's people in the last two weeks who, you know, cops who did a bad thing who are paying a price for it. And I'm not really concerned about the redemptive arc there. I'm concerned about justice. I think... I'll use Spellman from the Assemble documentary here talking about how, you know, there were iterations where they felt the power broker thing was too obvious and then they had to uh, backpedal it. And I think that comes across in the, in the finished product that they were deliberate with it, but didn't want to spoon feed it until you needed to have Carly say, what's the power broker without power without super soldiers um so i i defer to the people who made this show and the and the product stands up for itself and i think james pointing out you know what he does about walker here that the guy is completely tone deaf in terms of you know oh so i have a uh, a, a wife uh, who's a person of color and my you know uh, dead best friend was black yet I also yell at people do you know who I am 
Pete, also on the topic of Malcolm Spellman, uh, he said in an interview in the last week that there was a version of the finale episode where the title card at the end was Captain America and the White Wolf. Uh, He said that he was really moved by that because it hammered home um, Bucky's transition. Mm -hmm. Uh, He... Malcolm Spellman heavily implied that Mar- that you know, while that was a you know, that was Malcolm Spellman approved, whether it was his idea or not, he very much liked that. Then Marvel took it out. His assumption was that for most audience members, and I happen to agree, most audience members, it was like, wait, Captain America and the White Wolf, like that was two sets of mental math to do. Versus, you've been watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Falcon no more, Captain America. That's the transition, not double transitions. But I thought that was interesting. I think I would have been, I would have spent one Mississippi, two Mississippi, confused at Captain America and the White Wolf. Whereas, yes, they hit the center of the target with Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I understood what they were saying. Yeah, plus everybody knows too, it needs to be Bucky the brother-in-law before it can, it can become White Wolf. Uh, last tweet here, Pete, from AKA Frank Castle, but that's at DJ uh, underscore black, B L A K 357. Assembled may have been the best episode. Not a uh, laughing, crying emoji. Not a knock at all because I liked the show, but Assembled pulled back the curtain on a few issues, which I enjoyed a lot. So, Pete, praise there from Mr. DJ uh, to the Assembled episode. Pete, what do you have on the Faces bookends? Steve Adams writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Season one of Falcon and Winter Soldier is, in my opinion, a triumph. Ultimately, it was an exploration of what Captain America means. Not Steve Rogers, but Captain America. Cap is a legacy, a legend. It is remembering what makes this country great and unique, as well as a vision of what it can be and even should be. Uh, The contrast between John Walker and Sam Wilson is staggering. Aside from the two all-American names, these two men could not be more different. Walker needed the ceremony to let everyone know who he was. Sam never wanted the limelight that came with the shield. Walker was only too willing to flex his muscle as Cap. Sam was trying to talk to Carly all the way to the end. Walker thought the role of Cap was about physical prowess, where Sam showed that it was about being a certain type of man, humble, honest, selfless, determined, and optimistic about the future. This dynamic is where the show succeeded. Cast was amazing. From Anthony Mackie to Sebastian Stan to Daniel Brühl to Emily Van Camp, all of these characters were realized wonderfully and were able to expand the character's backstories however enough cannot be said about carl lumbly whenever he was on the screen he almost literally grabbed you and forced you to pay attention to what he was doing and saying such forceful performances do not come along often and kudos to marvel for casting him marvel's near perfect record in casting never ceases to amaze me from iron man through this show they have an almost spotless record when choosing which actor plays which role. Even the smaller parts are handed to the perfect actor to play them. All in all, another triumph from Marvel, and anticipation for Loki just gets higher and higher. 
I will, of course, be along for that ride. Thank you again for giving us such a great podcast to further appreciate the show. Marvel has created a new genre of media, cinematic television, and only the fantastic, he spelled it with the PH, Matt, ones could give such a thorough breakdown of it all. Well done, and until next time, stay fantastic, of course, with the PH. Well, thank you, Steve, for the compliments, and thank you more, I think, for the reminder of the contrast there between John Walker and Sam Wilson. If some of us are taking off some points for, um, I don't know, something less than recognizable justice for, for John Walker's attack on, on, the, uh, on the super soldier there, if that's something that the story did not um, explore or, or, or whatever it might be, uh, Steve, I think your words are a reminder that it's about the journey. In this case, not the destination. It's about the contrast to Sam Wilson, um, not necessarily the journey that that um, John Walker was on. Uh, at least, not that's not the primary focus. So, I think that's a great way to to recenter the discussion here. Rosemary Ferry also writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. We knew they had challenges with this production, but there were more than I thought. What resilience. Mr. Spellman sounds committed to the Sharon Carter storyline along with Cap's story going forward. I'm excited to see where they take the characters and am waiting for the Sarah and Bucky clips. Those will be fantastic with PH, Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I said at the top of the podcast, I think there's plenty of potential where if you have that footage and you want to use it, I know they have it, but if there's a desire to use that footage, again, however you're going to package it, there's the place now to do it. You don't need to be like, oh, well, we missed the season one DVD release. Let's do a web extra. Like, it's just there on Disney+. Plus. Again, whether you slap a new name on it or it's something in the extras or, or whatever it might be. To Apple Podcasts, Matt, where MCU Don writes, top-notch pod, five stars, and his review reads, Matt and Pete do a great job. They offer insightful speculation and analysis. I only listen to their MCU casts. There are only so many hours uh, in the week after all. Nonetheless, they have earned my first and only Patreon support. Great MCU pods and really entertaining. Perfect for my daily workouts. Thanks, guys. Keep them coming. Well, very appreciated there. And uh, also, as I said earlier in the podcast, that Patreon support always, always is noticed and appreciated. Um, It was more so um, the case this week when, you know, again, making our way through some of the changes that Apple has made to Apple Podcasts and so on and so forth as they look to monetize but also get money at the front end as well as the back end and as figuring out all of that the ability to sit and go it's okay if apple wants a bite of the apple it's okay if you know it's okay if they want it's okay if some of these things to make our podcast better or more apple friendly if those two aren't always the same thing but you know that hey there is that patreon money there to help keep things going and help make things their their best and we can embrace some of these technical changes that apple podcast wants to ostensibly make the make the experience better you know to, to sit and say all right we've done our best to be efficient if it takes if it takes some patreon support from the one pot to the other to make that happen it did it has and that that was a huge mental relief even though the dollar amount that apple's asking for currently is not a huge amount it was just like 
all right, we got this. It's Matt, it's Pete, it's the patrons as well. We got this. It is. And if you're not in a position to contribute right now, Apple Podcasts is a great place to start. Go there, leave us a rating, take seconds, leave us a review. It takes a little longer, but absolutely helps. You find you want to give a little bit more, then you get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. You set the value on this podcast. Uh, any kind of level you want to contribute at takes just a dollar to get in that door. And then there's all sorts of levels and uh, keeps us 100% listener supported. So thank you again. Well, Pete, as this starts to bring our, let's see, you know, 18 or so weeks, maybe it's not <laughs> quite that much, 15 plus weeks of Marvel podcasting uh, in a row as this starts to come to a to a conclusion for now. A pause. <laughs> a pause, indeed. Um, and, of course, uh, let me just first and foremost say, on this Falcon and the Winter Soldier feed, we'll, we'll give you one more, uh, you know, we'll update the feed, obviously, with any Falcon and the Winter Soldier news that comes out in the near or far future. Uh, we'll also give you a low-key reminder as that gets closer, um, in case you're not subscribed to us in other spots. But, Pete, for the month of May, we're taking things. Uh, the home base will be the pop culture podcast feed. What's going on for, uh, for May? So we're going to start with uh, Star Wars Day, May the 4th, uh, the Bad Batch uh, cartoon digital style hits um, Disney Plus. So we'll be keeping it in the Disney Plus sphere here. There is the uh, the pilot on Tuesday, May 4th, and then we're going to be bringing you the second episode on uh, Friday as well. So two in that first week that'll be week one in may how about week two matt week two we're going to be checking out superman and lois which currently has the first five episodes on hbo max and i believe they are also on the uh the cw app uh so we're going to be dipping our toes into um into some dc into some dc tv and uh you know pete i i have not seen this show i have fond memories of lois and clark um back in the day so i feel like this is going to be kind of going home maybe not going quite home to podcast stuff but it's, it's like that ratatouille moment i i get to be young again and watch the superman tv show i look forward to talking about dem characters but then we'll get back to marvel matt uh friday may 21st on hulu modok uh is going to be hitting that of course with Patton oswalt in the titular role so super excited to talk about that but we'll be bringing in two things that week uh we are we earmuffs on everybody we're going to be podcasting uh we're also going to podcast that weekend uh zach snyder's army of the dead that's right pete we might have taken him to task for monotone uh presentations uh in the past but army of the dead looks like a ton of fun dave bautista in the lead ton of fun dude take notaro replacing a dirtbag comedian um let's just replace let's let's put take notaro in everything um we will be doing a uh we'll we'll be doing a pg slash pg 13 podcast of it but just heads up to all you young folks out there Army of the Dead is rated R for strong, bloody violence, gore and language throughout, some sexual content, and brief nudity slash graphic nudity. So, Pete, I know I'm going to be watching, ready to cover my eyes when necessary. 
Um, but I think that's going to be that has the potential to be a ton of fun. But wait, Pete, there's more the the last week of May. Yes, we'll be returning to the familiar stomping grounds of the Star Trek universe and bring you some Star Trek that week before we get into the month of June, where we'll bring you our final Loki preview on Friday, June 4th. And then a week later, Matt, we'll be watching that first episode. Very, very excited about that, um, particularly since we now really, really, really have a sense that um, it'll probably, you know, be 40 minute episodes or so like they, you know, the fact that both WandaVision and Falcon, the Winter Soldier, uh, ended up around 290 minutes long total. Um, it really says there's a certain groove that they're going for. And I don't know, Loki is going to be completely different from Falcon, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, very different from WandaVision. I think the, the, the little time away from the MCU will be, you know, will be a good one. Absence making the heart grow fonder, etc. And Pete, I'm ready for Buffet May. I'm ready for Loki June. I'm ready for the summer with Black Widow and Star Trek Lower Decks and then some. So some to what all... if sprinkled in there, still waiting on a on a date for that. So yeah, bring it on. Well, Pete, the time has come to see how people can be like Pete. How can they tweet like you? How can they be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,933 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word. Like it today. As mentioned before, we will update this podcast feed as news of the property uh, continues to roll out. Otherwise, we'll see you on the Pop Culture Podcast feed for Buffet May. With that, Pete, I'm going to say adios one more time to our listeners and give you the final Falcon and the Winter Soldier word. It's truly connected. <laughs>